Tino, don't be stupid. Stop! He'll forgive us. I know he will. There is no going back. We were his treasures. Tino! We were protected. He gave us the high life. What's wrong with that? We are not Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where we watch teenagers get pulled back from the edge in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 61, which begins with the war rig leaving the Rocky Canyon behind, and it ends with the dag picking Cheeto up off the ground. Joining us this week from the Vibrant Visionaries podcast are Heidi Bennett and Brian Bennett. Hello. Howdy ho. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us for such interesting minutes. Heidi, you are a prior guest that we've had on before in the show, but Brian, we have never dragged you into this venture. It's good to have you aboard. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I just tend to say mainly uh, behind the scenes, I'm more uh, tech support for all of Heidi's various podcasts. <laughs> Heidi, when we talked to you last, you were talking about Vibrant Visionaries as a thing that was coming into being. Could you tell us a little bit about that project now that you've been releasing it for a while now? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So after doing Spinal Tap Minute and Cabin Minute Cast, I decided to do a podcast focusing on conversations with multi-creatives. So people who are musicians slash sculptors slash podcasters or other slash life people, people who really like to endeavor in many different creative things. And so it's been really wonderful. And I've gotten a chance to talk with some filmmakers and some artists and illustrators, fellow podcasters, of course, writers and all sorts of really fascinating folks, everybody on a different part of their journey. So people who are doing this you know, for a living or people who are just starting new projects, it kind of runs the gamut. Mm -hmm. And we end up talking a lot also about sort of the care and feeding of the multi-creative. So topics of self-compassion, self-care, self-kindness, how to keep things going when our non-linear sort of weird, interesting lives take us into the dark spaces and how to pull ourselves back out and not overschedule ourselves, give mm -hmm. ourselves a break and be kind to ourselves. That is a topic that has really risen in the conversation. And that background is really the main reason why I've invited you on for this <laughs> week, because as our listeners will know, we've just suffered an incredible emotional blow with the loss of Ang Herod. When she went under those wheels Everybody started freaking out. And now that we've got a little bit of distance between that incident and here, the emotions are starting to come to a head. Absolutely. And it was really interesting to watch this minute and then go back and sort of get situated. And where are we on this journey of this road, <laughs> this fury road? <laughs> yeah, um, especially because everyone was working so well together and because she was putting herself out there in such a precarious position. And of course, then there's that moment where we feel like, oh, it's going to be fine. 
thumbs up from Max, and then absolute devastation for everyone. Yeah. It's pretty heavy. And as we look at the wives in the back seat here, I feel like Capable is taking it the hardest because Capable was pretty much filling that doula role, babying Inherit a little bit, helping her around, making sure she has someone to catch her when she falls back from yanking on Max's chain. And she's got her face buried in her hands here. And everybody else just seems, I don't know, like a little numb as they're sitting in this back seat. I find this moment extremely relatable when you are upset about something and speaking from the point of view of a woman who used to be a teenager and quite dramatic, you know, when you're throwing a fit about something, you lose control and you're overly emotional and it's a bit showy and probably loud. And and then you settle into the phase of, I think of it as your crying yourself to sleep phase, where you've settled down a little bit. You're still really upset. You're still crying, but it's just not as outward and dramatic as it was in the beginning. Mm. And this is their phase. They are crying themselves to sleep. I'm looking at Cheeto here in the back seat, right here in the middle. And mm -hmm. I almost feel like she's done at this point. Right. Yeah, definitely. Just like there's a, something about it. Like they're all just they're just spent. Yeah, this has probably been the most amount of, ex you know, excitement and adventure they've had probably most of their lives. You know, if they've been kept so long that now they're just kind of like, oh, the fun's over. Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was a fun adventure. Now it's like, wait, stuff got real all of a sudden and uh, we didn't really sign on for this part of it. Yeah, I think up till now they haven't really faced any actual consequences, personal consequences to what they have done. Mm -hmm. And now they have. Exactly. It was just a thrilling escape, and now it's like, oh, wait, this is reality? It's really, I guess, understandable as to why they're not really jumping to do anything. I mean, Furiosa doesn't have that luxury. Like, we saw Furiosa reacting to the decision to keep going, but she doesn't have the luxury to sit and dwell on these feelings because she needs to focus on more important things like lashing a crossbow to the steering column so that Max can steer. Yeah, and she's also has experienced this type of stuff before too this isn't a new thing for her to process so yeah if you're is just able to get down to business like okay you gotta move on it's either move forward or die one of the two and i'm looking at her expression right around second nine and the way she's staring into the middle distance as she's completing this task you can tell that she's definitely not okay with it no no this is definitely a like just get through it just process it and, and you know like emergency response stuff it's like kind of have to get your panic under control and then just deal with it and then process it later and just kind of turn into robotic. Yeah, I definitely made me think of like that she's sort of in the military versus them, you know, being coddled and being the treasures and being taken care of. And she knows, like you said, what needs to get done. So she's compartmentalized. But yeah, she's got <laughs> she's got those those eyes, like you said. This many years as an Imperator, she has to have built up an ability to compartmentalize. And I like that you said that, because I think it's a perfect illustration of what she's doing here. Just taking that, setting it aside for now, because she needs to make sure that they can keep going. And that's something that's going to be made difficult, especially because as she's fixing that crossbow to the steering column, there's that popping sound and then just billowing steam coming out of the front of that rig. Now, I've said it before. I'm not a petrol head, I'm not a black finger, I'm not a car guy, but from what I've read, 
about radiator systems. I think what they've got going on with this rig is that they're filling the cooling system with just water, that they don't have the proper coolant mixtures to keep the boiling point of the radiator liquid down. So that way, when they run these double engines so hard for, you know, however long it's been since she turned left and encountered the buzzards, that boiling point is going to reach the metaphorical zenith. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the, right the, the, the pressure is going to like the pressure is going to surpass the emergency release or on the cap. So instead of blowing out the whole radiator. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, they're also going completely pedal to the floor across the desert. So mm-hmm. not a great combination for keeping your engine temperature cool. Not only is there steam billowing up, but that steam is literally just water that is just dissipating into the air. So when they stop and Max throws that engine panel off and Furiosa brings him a jug of water, they've got to replace what they've lost. Otherwise, they're going to just overheat again. Following along with what Rick said, I know nothing about cars at all whatsoever. I'm a little surprised, though, that they haven't figured out in this wasteland world a way to bring that boiling point under control mm-hmm. to prevent this from happening everything's kind of a makeshift so yeah unless you're um you know you can find antifreeze town you're yeah. kind of hard up for <laughs> being able to you know find the right things you need to keep it cool but on the positive side they're hauling thousands of gallons of water so they don't have to worry about that it's not like they're having to get out and urinate into the radiator like if you're in the desert by yourself and <laughs> you know mm-hmm. the emergency measures at that point but also the one things like when that steam blew, it turned all that dust into mud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's the main aspect of like not being able to be out the window anymore. It's like, oh, hey, we're now covered in goop. So not only do they have to replace the water that was lost, they've also got to get up there with the squeegee and clean off the windshield so that they can see. Exactly. <laughs> one thing that was popping off of the scene for me, and it comes up a little bit, more in different examples in future minutes, is that Max and Furiosa are so enmeshed with being people of the road and Furiosa being so enmeshed in this war rig that she's literally color-coordinated with it. And at second 23, I mean, her light, dusty color of her top like blends perfectly with the top of over the um like the cowling or whatever yeah. yeah the hydraulic arm that controls the plow right exactly so I, I just loved how she sort of blends right in with it and later on when we see her crawling underneath it like you can just see how she seems like with this war rig and the way that she's used it for so long and knows how intuitive she is with it that it just seems like an extension of her kind of like her arm yeah like any vehicle you have that you're driving forever you know every weird sound and you know proclivity that the vehicle has and such yeah and then also one thing about this scene when i was watching it like frame by frame this is the one few times where i think i could notice the cg of her fake arm because when you're going frame by frame, you kind of notice that it's a little bit cleaner and crisper than the rest of the background, mm-hmm. just initially. And it's like the only time I've ever noticed it stand out. Uh, but it, when you're playing at regular speed, it doesn't. Just when you have to get real granular, you kind of like, oh, hey, I, I can finally see the weirdness of this. I was like trying to find those little artifacts of her wearing the green sock 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All over that arm. I tried to find all of the spots in the fight where she was up against Max and she didn't have her prosthetic on. And I'm like, oh, is that is that her regular hand hitting the ground? Is that there? And I don't think I ever successfully found a great example. And I think that might just be how well practiced they were with the stunts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, and that they actually you know hired decent graphic they're special effects people too and pay yeah. them enough money to get them to do a great job doing it <laughs> yeah this isn't some 1980s italian flick right <laughs> i really appreciate in this instance something has gone wrong with the war rig and we just smash cut to max and furioso working together on the rig it's an example of something that we're going to see again in wednesday's minute of max really becoming integrated into this group. And I like that something has gone wrong, something needs to be done, and there doesn't need to be a delegation or someone identifying it and telling the other person. They just both instinctively know this is what we need to do. Yeah, and I don't know if this is the first scene of it, but this is a major one where you really get, really understand that the Max is a background character in the movie that has his name on it. You know, he's just there as a support person. You know, this is Furiosa's movie. It's Furiosa's world. We're just riding along with Max and watching it. He's the one that's allowing (laughs) us to see it. (laughs) Right. He's integral because if he wasn't there, we wouldn't know what was going on. That's true. Right. That's the lovely thing about Max. He brought us in. We go along for the ride with him. Yeah, and I think when I was looking at these minutes, I love how... Once they're in the canyon and she calls him fool, that seems like almost a magical word that's made some sort of switch in their relationship from non-trusting to trusting. Even, you know, the playfulness of the word fool kind of, (laughs) to me, brings this of like, oh, we were on opposite sides, even the body language within the cab of him being pulled back and gathering the different guns and everything and keeping his guns trained on everybody and the way he's looking around and assessing the space to him driving the rig and then them going into the dramatic, you know, fight scene against everybody is that then all of a sudden they're just a team. They're all in this together. And I really enjoyed that in this film, that 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 felt very real to me rather than some sort of contrived, like, you know, sitting down and having a conversation about how, oh, I guess I trust you now and I Mm -hmm. guess we can move forward in this relationship. It just happens organically in a way that to me rang very natural, organic and true. Along those same lines is how you said that Fool was the moment that they became a team it occurred to me that it was because calling him fool was an inside joke. She had asked him what his name was, and he had refused to tell her. So she was like, fine, I'm just going to call you fool. And then she actually <laughs> did it. She followed through with her sort of joke. Yeah. And a bystander wouldn't understand why she calls him fool and why that's a thing that he understands. But if you were there, it's one of those things you had to be there. <laughs> So, (laughs) because now they have this thing that just they understand, it brings them together as a team. I like it. As great as it is that Max and Furiosa are working together, not all is sunshine and roses here in the war rig. Because as Furiosa drops off that water can, we hear a shout. 
and I'm pretty sure it's the Dag who is shouting after Cheeto. And as we look where Furiosa's eyeline is going, we can see Capable and the Dag running after Cheeto, who is just booking it out into the desert because she has completely lost her nerve and she has decided that she is going to do that thing that some people do. They get out of these terrible relationships. They hit one speed bump in the road and suddenly they want to go right back to the person who's been abusing them for years. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of saying the same thing last night when we were like watching these again is that if you took just the action of the ladies chasing after each other and you didn't hear the audio and just took just them and reenacted the whole scene, but like in front of a bar at night, like you're watching the scene from across the street, it wouldn't seem out of place. It's like this one girl running off you know, with her lipstick smeared and kind of in a say disarray. I'm going to go back to him. And then the, the friends trying to like keep their, their drunk friend from making a bad decision. They're like, come on back. No, come on. And then, yeah, you know, so like if you were just watching it, you didn't even hear it. You were just like, you know, you lived across the street from a bar. You probably see you know that kind of scene almost every weekend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can take this scene and just do a one-to-one replacement with probably any romantic comedy. Yeah, just replace the background with anything. And <laughs> what's crazy about this setup is, yeah, Cheeto capable and the Dag—they're off doing their own thing. But we've also got something going on with Furiosa here. She turns to look after the shouting and she gets this really concerned look on her face around second 28. We see the girls running and then when we cut back to Furiosa at 32, suddenly she's got the SKS rifle and she's put a scope on it. And the next shot we get after we see Furiosa raise the gun is the crosshairs of the rifle pointed right at Cheeto before they drift over to the bike. And it's like, oh, okay, is this an all or nothing situation? Like, if you try to get off this train, is Furiosa going to straight up murk you? Yeah, yeah. There's another story that, like, was it Harry Tubman, I think, had that? Mm. Talking about how bad ass she was, like, when someone was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave, I'm going to go back, and it's like, no. <laughs> you either continue on this journey north with us, or I'm going to shoot you. Mm-hmm. But you are not going to put the rest of us in peril. <laughs> yeah, Furiosa is not in the same movie as the romantic comedy. Yes, exactly. (laughs) She understands the stakes. Mm -hmm. And she's also could be, you know, the level headed, um, you know, maybe slightly more experienced friend or friend that has gone through trauma and knows how to deal with it in a different, very uh, pointed, (laughs) succinct way. (laughs) Luckily for Cheeto, Furiosa is not in the mood for shooting wives. She's in the mood for shooting war boys. And I just want to say, like, if we're doing points, the fact that she's able to take out two war boys with one bullet, that's at least worth three in my book. (laughs) Yeah, and if you do the frame by frame like I did, right after she takes a shot, if you stop it right at that point when they first show the war boys... You see one of the stuntmen is standing like on a peg on the side of the bike already kind of semi-dismounted. And then the other one is still driving it and leaps off. And you can kind of see the one on the left like leaping off of his uh, stand. (laughs) The first time I noticed that, I was like, oh, hey, he didn't just fall off the back. He leapt off. (laughs) It was pretty fun. They won't be back for any potential sequels. No. (laughs) But rewinding back to focus on the wives specifically, there is a slight continuity error 
that I want to point out because I like to be a nitpicky like that. Can when, I guess at what the continuity error is? Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, is it the lipstick? It's not the lipstick. Okay, I don't re- I do not remember Cheeto wearing lipstick before. All right. Heidi, I think that's new. Heidi and Brian, do you guys want to guess at what my continuity error is? You know what? I'm sad to say I missed a continuity error, and I usually nail those things, so go for it. Okay. I'm excited. So we get the shot of the girls running away from the tanker, and they're all behind. And Cheeto has this length of fabric around her shoulders, but it's bunched up into a fairly thin line. When we reverse shot on the girls running at 29 seconds, suddenly the fabric is billowing out like right, a, a, like a full coverage shawl. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah, and it's pretty quick. This reminds me of Braveheart. So you guys covered Braveheart, didn't you? We oh did. Oh so Okay, I remember listening to your podcast, but I don't recall if this specific thing was covered. But when it's a pretty iconic scene when Mel... Braveheart Mel is coming in and he's putting his hands behind mm-hmm. his head. Yep. And so it looks like he's being sort of like, I'm he's being neutral. You know, I'm, you know, I'm surrendering. And it's always bugged me that the one shot, his hands are like right behind his head. And then the reverse shot, his hands are like way, you know, down like to his his back yeah um and it's just very different i mean it's like it feels like it's a foot difference Mm -hmm. and so it kind of reminds me of that and so i guess i can tie that in with the mel gibson connection but it's like (laughs) it's so different the where his hands are placed that it's distracting yeah it took me a while to notice it because yeah like as far as cheeto's general outline it's a big difference but Watching the movie, it's not something that stands out. It's pretty much what Brian's been saying. The whole, when you watch it frame by frame, these little things pop out at you. But I think it's probably better that Cheeto has this big billowy full coverage thing to just make her a bit more dynamic standing out against the dag and capable, which don't have anything to distinguish them from a distance. it, It really hides like almost all the other characters except for Furiosa and Toast way in the background. Mm-hmm. It really just singles her out into this like billowy halo. Yeah, and to me it's like a runaway bride sort of look mm. with the billow. Yeah, I was going to say the billow, that's the sort of thing little girls like wish for is a dress or a shawl that billows in the wind. I think that's a good point because Cheeto is the youngest. Cheeto is the one that has the least physical experience with joe and so all of the other wives have been sexually assaulted by joe in the past they have been multiple times raped and impregnated and cheeto doesn't have that personal experience and so she just doesn't know for herself how bad it can be which i think is why she's thinking okay i don't want to fall off the side of a war rig and get run over by a monster truck, I will just go back and everything will be fine. Not realizing what she's saying. Like, she's shouting about how he'll forgive us and we were his treasures. And the other wives are repeating the words, we're not things. We're not going back to be things. She just doesn't have that perspective. And that blindness, that's not an uncommon thing. Yeah. In an abusive relationship for the abused partner to have a blind spot, to not see all the bad things. 
And just to think about the good things. Well, there is a certain comfort and familiarity with the bad. Mm -hmm. You know what it is. She may not know to the level of the other women yet because of what you just described, but there is a certain level of knowing what you know. You know, Mm -hmm. this out here is the unknown, which has also just shown horrific death. Yeah, there's the sticking with the devil you know versus taking a risk on the devil you don't. Very much so. And the points that she makes are valid points. Mm -hmm. They were safe. They were well taken care of. They were living the high life. And who wouldn't want that? Like, those are legitimate points. And I don't think Cheeto wanting to run away back to the safety of the Citadel makes her necessarily a bad person. I think it just makes her young and naive. Exactly the words I was going to use. And then when you see the first shot of Max after she's starting to run away and stops and turns, the very first expression Max has is pretty much like, oh, honey, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 please don't. That's a, it's not for me to get involved, but no, don't make that decision. I am loving so much a lot of the reaction shots that Tom Hardy gets to do in this movie. I think my favorite so far has to be the expression that he had on his face when they were arguing with Nux in the backseat before they just tossed him out. It was one of those, uh, I don't even know how to properly describe it using another reference that people would get in an audio context, but his eyes were wide. He had a eyebrow cocked up as if, you know, you got into a taxi cab and then you discovered that there was a live alligator in the backseat and you're looking at the taxi driver like, why is there a live alligator in the backseat? And the taxi driver's like, oh, don't worry. That's just another one of my fares. And it just makes it even more bizarre. Right. Yeah. And it's just one of the things like with Tom Hardy is that's why he gets cast in any movie that requires someone to be a leading man and wear a mask mm-hmm. is because he does more like with the top half of his face in acting without words than I think anybody else can do with, like, the whole range of motion. It's just, it's amazing. I do also like that while this is going on, we see him pause and take a look, but we also see him just continuing on his work. Like, he he takes stock of what is happening, he sees that it has a resolution, and he just goes back to work. Not my circus, not my monkeys. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, this doesn't need me involved. They're they're taking care of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As I mentioned before, the Dag Incapable... They keep repeating this idea that we're not things, we're not things. And Cheeto lashes out at them, saying that she doesn't want to hear that phrase again. And Capable says those were her words. And Cheeto fires back with probably what is the most standout phrase in this minute. And now she's dead. And that is such a full stop moment for me. It's like, oh, wow, that is a last ditch retort that's really hard to come back from. And it drops an anvil on the situation agreed but it is like you get frustrated sometimes if people keep like repeating some pleasantry or just some you know hallmark greeting card mantra or something at you when it doesn't really have any applicable thing for the the time it's just like things have changed you know <laughs> like that that that's a pleasantry that we can't afford anymore this yeah. is reality and stop denying what's happened you know, I think that's, the, it looks like her frustration is kind of like, she doesn't feel that everyone else is mourning properly, mm. essentially, which is, seems to happen a lot of times, especially when a celebrity dies, you almost see like competitive mourning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone grieves in their own way because of her age, and she just doesn't understand 
that like, why aren't you feeling the way I feel? Which is, uh, you know, a lot of our teen years is like that. Yep. Like, I'm feeling so much more. Why aren't you feeling the same thing? Just goes to show that even when the world has ended, being a teenager is still hard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but talking about this idea of uh, platitudes and sayings and things, the dag pipes up. Yeah, she says this line that I'd never heard before. I only knew it was here because of the subtitles. She says, wring your hands, say your hymns. You are not going back. Um, and as I looked up what, you know, the definition of wringing your hands, and I also looked up the body language interpretation of wringing your hands, I think this might be an insult. I think she might be saying to her, just go back to being all about yourself and sit down in the truck and shut up. Wringing your hands in like body language is a self-pacifying gesture. It's a person who does this is uncomfortable, is nervous or fearful. We have noticed throughout this movie to this point, and we've discussed it a couple of times, that Cheeto is nervous and fearful. And she has been clasping mostly onto the dag, literally just holding her hand at all times, not letting her go when dag wants to go and fight things like this i kind of feel like dag is just telling her to go back to being that person who is quiet and submissive yeah like a fancy a fancy sit down and shut up yeah suck it up buttercup <laughs> yeah yeah i think so and my my very first thought was that this is a religious imagery that the singing of hymns is meant to bring us comfort to praise god to bring us closer to god and it can be very peaceful. It can also be very unifying among a group of people who sing hymns together. So that's kind of thought where she was going with it. But then I started reading about wringing your hands. I'm like, I'm not sure this is a kind thing that she's saying to her. And she follows that up by saying twice, you're not going back. Like, full stop, that's not an option for you. So don't plan on it. And we wrap this minute in the last four seconds with Cheeto breaking free of the Dag's grasp and falling to the ground as she cries out Ang Herod's name. And the Dag has to, like, chase after her a little bit and drag her back to her feet. There's some intense emotion happening here. <laughs> right. I don't want to question her intense emotion because everybody has a right to mourn, but I never got the sense that she was particularly attached to Ang Herod before now. I got the sense she was particularly attached to the Dag. Yeah. Yeah, and it could be more that she's yelling out the other person's name, but it's really because this other person symbolizes something that could have happened to her, you know? Yeah, like, basically, the downside of this <laughs> of this mission, like, what exactly, what could happen? Like, the other option during this escape that never occurred to her before. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, wait, we could die? That's not part <laughs> uh -huh. that I signed up for. Yeah. She wants Ang Herod to be fine, because if Ang Herod's not fine, that means none of them are fine. None of them are safe. Here at the end of today's episode, Heidi and Brian, could you share with our listeners where they should go on the internet to either hear more of you or more of anything else you'd like to share with us? Yeah, for sure. So Vibrant Visionaries is where you can hear my conversations with clever, compassionate multi-creatives about their projects, process, and lessons learned along the way. And there you can easily find how to 
subscribe if you like, or, you know, click on over and follow on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. And that's all at vibrantvisionaries.com. And I have nothing really, if you really care. I'm on Instagram at umqua, U-M-P-Q-U-A. Other than that, I don't know, check out Elon Musk failed SoundCloud. <laughs> I'm sure if you just Google Elon Musk SoundCloud Harambe and listen to that horrible train wreck of a thing. But it's good to hear him fail occasionally. <laughs> As for us, we will be coming back on Wednesday. The war rig is going to get moving. Max is going to get curious about where exactly they're headed. And Furiosa starts handing out chores. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 61 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>